Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. Hi, I'm J.R. Lowry and this is Career Sessions, Career Lessons. Today, my guest is Becca Carnahan, who I've come to know through our work together on Pathwise, which offers career management support to early to mid-career professionals who are looking to move up or move on. Becca is a career coach, author, blogger, and mom. Her firm, Next Chapter Careers, focuses on helping millennials and Gen X professionals, particularly working parents, make job changes and to find more joy and fulfillment in their careers. Prior to going out on her own, Becca spent 10 years working at Harvard Business School, providing career coaching for alumni and career services for current HBS students, along with performing a mix of employer engagement, event planning, and technology management as well. Prior to that, she spent a few years in HBS's executive education division, working with organizations who were considering sponsoring one of their executives for an HBS program. She started her career as a sales representative for the Boston Celtics. She's authored three books, two children books called Belinda Baloney Changes Her Mind and Benji Baloney Learns to Be Brave and a more adult book called When Mommy Grows Up, A Guide to Parenting Yourself to a More Fulfilling Career. She earned her bachelor's degree in business management with a concentration in marketing from Boston College and a master's degree in higher education from Harvard University Graduate School of Education. She and her husband and two children live outside of Boston. Okay, let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? And what do you remember wanting to do when you were growing up? So I grew up south of Boston, East Bridgewater, Massachusetts. And one of the first things I remember wanting to be when I grew up was an artist. And I loved to color and draw and make up stories and all of that. And that's going to come full circle, certainly as we get further on in my career. But I love that question because I think it's so interesting to look back on the things we wanted to do when we were kids and how much of that still sticks with us. Yeah. Yeah. One of my three kids knew from about the age of 10 that she wanted to be an architect, which is really kind of interesting. And she stuck with it, like took, they actually had AP architecture classes in her high school. And so she was able to get a pretty good running start at it. The other two weren't quite as sure early on, but that's great that, you know, that you had that thought. And does that mean you illustrate your own books, your kids' books? So I didn't illustrate my books, but this idea of creativity definitely stuck with me. Mm. So I think when we all look back on the things that we're interested in as kids, I find it fascinating to pull out the themes. Yeah. And for me, it was this creativity and storytelling piece of it that I can, sure, I can like sketch out a little drawing. It's not going to be nearly as good as what my sister-in-law, Sarah, who illustrated my children's books can put together. But this idea of of creativity and vision and story uh, has interwoven through a lot of different parts of my career. Yeah. What, What was your first paying job? My first paying job was my friend and I started a summer camp. Okay. And we were probably like 10 years old. I was very entrepreneurial okay. from a young age. I mean, we certainly did like the lemonade stand and the yard sale and all of that. But 
my best friend growing up lived around the corner. We created a little like mini half day summer camp for the kids who are probably four years younger than us. And the parents loved it because they just dropped off all their kids and they had these 10, 11 year old kids who were going to entertain them for three hours. And when I look back on that, it was like, oh my gosh, I was already thinking about being in this like helper teacher type of role uh, and being entrepreneurial. So there's so much stuff I think that came along the way. And then series of jobs after that, kind of working as a more official camp counselor um, and then all the other jobs that you can possibly think of, like doing catering at a banquet hall type thing, all kinds of stuff that you do and test out to make some money as a kid. Yeah, exactly. Presumably when you were a 10-year-old, running summer camp for six-year-olds. There was an adult in the vicinity, I hope. There was an adult. I have to give a lot of credit <laughs> to both my friend Megan's mom and my mom who were around in the summer and they were definitely sitting on the deck making sure that we weren't doing anything nuts. But if I remember correctly, we were definitely leading the charge there with the kids. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I know you went to Boston College, uh, mm-hmm. as I mentioned in the intro. Why did why did you choose BC? Obviously, at a geographic proximity for you, but why, why BC and why business management with that marketing specialization. Mm -hmm. So one of the other really clear ideas I had growing up, which I am not doing now uh, as a career, was I wanted to be in sports marketing. Okay. And I'm not sure that I ever really understood what sports marketing was, but I knew someone who went to college for it and thought that that was really cool. And because I I loved sports growing up, I I was a three-sport athlete. My family always watched sports. I, I thought I wanted to incorporate sports into my career in some way. And I really liked making posters for like homecoming dances and stuff. I was like, oh, that's marketing, right? right. Um, so I was looking for a school that had two things, a good marketing program, as well as a good sports program. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be like around Division One athletics that would give me an opportunity to do some sports marketing. Not that I was going to play, but yeah. I was going to be involved in sports as a business. So the mindset was right there, actually. I feel like I, I nailed it in yeah. terms of finding a, a strong business school with the, the sports element. And I loved my experience at BC. And I did intern with the athletic department mm-hmm. all four years. I was there and had a great experience. It's not what I'm doing now, but I still look back on that as a really great time to help build my career and learn really important skill sets. Yeah, you know, it definitely my stepdaughter is the one who's the architect and her husband is in was in sports marketing. He's moved over to the entertainment side of the Madison Square Garden Group business, but mm-hmm. You know, for a long time, he was doing sports marketing. You know, he did work for the athletic department. He went to Seton Hall. Uh, mm-hmm. So I had sort of a similar experience. So I'd sort of gotten it indirectly from him over the years since we've mm-hmm. we've known him really, I guess, since he was about 23. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were an RA as well for a few years. Is that where the idea of helping people as you do today in your coaching practice took root for you? Or did it go back earlier than that, as you were talking about before? So the real reason I became an RA, I'll be completely honest with you, is that it paid for, for room and board. Yeah. And that was something that was very appealing for me in terms of being able to pay for more of my college education. But it's also not surprising looking back that I was attracted to a role like that because it was in that helper capacity. And so many of the roles that I've been drawn to have been in this helper role where yeah. you're, you're coaching, mentoring, working with students in some way. Yeah. So in that RA capacity, I was able to kind of dabble with that a little bit, probably even more so though, as in the summers in between college, I was working at, at a summer camp with early high school kids, eighth and ninth graders. And 
that was a very formative experience because I even taught those kids how to write resume. They didn't know what a career coach was at that point, but <laughs> I was teaching them how to become camp counselors one day. So when I think back on that experience, it was a very direct correlation to what I do now. That's really amazing that you were doing that back back at that age. <laughs> you went to work for the Celtics after uh-huh. college, which obviously fits very well with the idea of sports marketing. What did you do to land that job? That's a pretty tough job to get. So it was a very interesting year that I landed that job. So there's a couple of things that I did. One was that I was I had four years of experience of interning in a sports marketing capacity. So I think that helped set me apart from other candidates for that role that I had shown a vested interest and had references of people who knew me that I worked in sports. The second piece of it was that it was a sales role. And my dad was in sales. His entire career still to this day is in sales. So I think I had a certain appreciation for what sales could be, that it wasn't, it was more about listening and asking questions. So I think I was able to demonstrate that and did that in my role, certainly to building relationships. And so I got a lot of that from him. The third thing is timing, though. And I think this is oftentimes in a lot of career decisions and and moves, timing plays a factor. And the Celtics were real bad that year. (laughs) They were not. This was the year. It ended up being the year they won the championship, but they had not. uh, Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett had not joined the team. Uh, That's before that deal got done, huh? Yeah. I joined probably a month before that deal got done. Yeah. Um, so I, the timing could not have been better because they really needed some eager beavers yeah. in those seats trying yeah. to sell tickets. It was a hard, a really hard sell Yeah. to call people up and say, listen, we know the Celtics are the worst team in the league right now because they were, but do you still want to come buy season tickets? Yeah. Uh, and that was a hard sell. But since I had built up some good relationships and actually had conversations, even just from Google calls. Yeah. When the deals were, when Kevin Garnett and when Rayan came to join the Celtics, that's when the ticket sales just started flowing and those relationships yeah. that I had built, people were calling me back and saying, hey, like, I want to buy eight tickets for the season. And right. with a partially commission-based job, that wasn't a bad gig. Yeah. Um, so we had a lot of fun that year. It was a great learning experience, really fun to be out on the floor, getting to interact with sports in a way that I always had imagined that I would. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Did you get a ring? So here's here's another timing part of this. So the group of us that were brought in, yeah, that were right out of college, we were brought in as a, on a contract. And most years since the team had been so bad, the contract employees kind of rolled over into a full-time. But our contract was up at the end of February. Uh, and we had sold all the tickets. There was nothing to do. Oh. Um, all the season tickets were completely sold out. There was wait lists. So we were kind of twiddling our thumbs for a little part, like definitely interacting with our clients and that sort of thing, but we weren't needed anymore. And so our contract ended. And at this point I was out of school. I've been out of school for 10 months and now I found myself unemployed. Yeah. So I did not get a ring. I did go to the final game though. Yeah. They got us all uh, tickets back in to, to see that final game, which was amazing. So the ring would have been nice, but the experience in itself and being there for the game was, was fantastic. Yeah, it's a not a bad consolation prize to see the clinching game of the NBA Finals. I'll take it. It was a really great memory. Yeah. So then, how did you? I know you ended up over at the at Harvard Business School in the Executive mm-hmm. Education Division. So how did that come about for you? Mm-hmm. So at that point, I was unemployed, <laughs> looking for a new role, and kind of looking for okay, I want to stay in sports, and there's plenty of colleges 
within the Boston area, some professional sports, but more colleges to choose from. So that's where I was looking towards originally was staying in a marketing role in the sports industry or one of the universities wasn't finding it. Hmm. And the role, the timing wasn't working out. I wasn't, didn't have the knowledge of career development and career and job searching that I do now um, as a career coach. So wasn't, things weren't sticking. I wasn't finding a, a role in sports marketing. I did find a role within a university. Mm. So that was in a marketing, overall marketing department and had a bit of that sales element that I was bringing from my Celtics experience. So I started to branch out a little bit from purely sports roles to looking at universities and hoping that I could transfer in within the university to work in sports eventually. Yeah. Didn't end up happening because yeah. things change along the way, but that was the goal at the point. At that point. And I, I know it was around then you went to get your master's from Harvard in higher education. So how did that come about? What drove that? So after being at Harvard for a year or two, I started to really remember all the things I loved about being a camp counselor. Mm. And you're like, oh gosh, like higher education is this, this transformative experience for students. And as much as I loved working in sports marketing, I also loved my college experience and the education and the people that I met and the relationships. So I started to dabble in some classes because that was a benefit of working for a university that you could start to take some classes and thought about potentially doing a additional business degree to go down the marketing route. But then I just had this idea around education, like, well, why don't I take a class yeah. um, with the School of Ed because I'm really enjoying this experience of working within a university setting. And that clicked immediately. I was like, yeah. no, I took, I took a class just like I was so engrossed in the world of higher education. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I knew I wanted to pursue. Started taking more classes in, as a non-degree student and then got into the program, did it part-time yeah. um, while I was still working at the university. And obviously, you know, sort of seated by the fact that you were working for the university, you could go take classes, you know, for free, right? In the early going. Pretty uh, much. Yeah. It was yeah. Like very, very low cost. Yeah. Very low cost. Okay. So you know, I sort of sensing, you know, there's a hustler aspect to you, Becca, you know, in terms of going back to when you were 10 years old and, you know, the lemonade stands and the summer camp and, you know, taking advantage of the RA opportunity in school and the class opportunity when you were first at Harvard. So. Oh yeah. It's a definite theme there. When I think back on my, where I am now as an entrepreneur and having that, that little bit of an edge of wanting to compete against myself and find ways to make things work. Yeah, Yeah. I think I've been doing that for a long time it's fun to bring all those different pieces together now. Yeah. So we'll get to your sort of current entrepreneurial focus in a bit, but just Mm -hmm. help me sort of understand, you know, the 10 years that you then spent at HBS, you were working with current students, you were working with alumni, you had a nice range of roles. How did that time sort of round out your skill set and give you some experience that you continue to tap into today? Yeah. Those 10 years with the Career and Professional Development Office, and I still am very closely connected with the career office at HBS because these people helped launch this next stage of my career and taught me so much that I could never possibly repay all the learnings that I got from that experience. What really started to drive me into moving from the executive education space into career and professional development, the career services side of higher education, were some classes that I started to take yeah. um, at through my master's program and finding myself drawn to student services related work, classes that's talked about the bridge between education and the world of work 
And when I thought about the impact I wanted to make, it wasn't just within the four years of higher of undergraduate or two years, whatever it is for uh, for graduate work, depending right. on the school. It was that bridge between yeah. how can you take everything that you have learned and experienced through higher education and then translate that to a fulfilling career and making your impact on the world throughout the rest of your career. Yeah. So when I found myself really drawn to that work, I started doing some informational interviewing, things that I talk to my clients about doing now and putting it out there to my network that this is the work that I want to be doing is working in this, the career services space and made some good connections, had some good informational interviews and was kind of quickly brought into the fold of the Career and Professional Development Office, starting as a recruiting coordinator. Okay. Based on my experience as working with companies, helping them think about executive education right. matches, it was a right fit for me to build that, kind of parlay that into working with companies from the career services side. And because I had this, always had this draw towards more of the student experience, I was constantly raising my hand saying, when there was any opportunity to be working with students, to be helping to moving into more of the coaching element, I was raising my hand over and over again for those opportunities. So when I look back at my career history over those 10 years, I had several different roles because I was always saying like, hi, I'm here. Uh, I want to take on this next opportunity. And that helped me get closer and closer towards a position where it was more focused on working with students, working with alumni in a coaching capacity while still being able to do some writing and that creativity and the storytelling that I talked about early on, I was able to mold my role to include more of the writing, the coaching, and then eventually move that over into my own business. You know, the point you made a minute ago about raising your hand and being willing to do these different things. I find so many people I talk to, they feel like they they need to be asked, you know, mm-hmm. and it doesn't cease to amaze me that people sort of miss opportunities that are almost right in front of them because they just don't raise their hand or just go do something and see how the you know how people react to it you know it's good that you kind of figured that out pretty early on in in your own career and i had really great coaches and mentors i was fortunate enough to be surrounded by i was in a career services office right so it's right. a whole bunch of people who are dedicated to helping people advance their careers whether it's students or alumni and the employees of that office were no exception. Yeah. We were constantly investing in, in the people. I did that as a manager. My manager did that for me. And we were asking each other questions about, okay, what is the work that gives you energy? What are the skills you want to be using? Yeah. How can that contribute to the organization in a different way? When I think back on some of those people who were who would push me a little bit and say, like, yeah. Becca, you're really good at this. Like maybe this is an opportunity you want to consider. I'd be like, all right, hand up. Uh, yeah. Or like, Becca, have you considered this? I'm like, no, I haven't, but now I will, hand up. Yeah. Uh, so I think when when we as managers, whether whether you work in an office where the culture already is around asking people and helping people to understand how their skills can be developed, how they can be doing work that gives them energy, more managers can be doing that, how much better off your offices would be, right? Yeah. We'll be doing the work that's working to their best capacity yeah. and helping to develop people within. What's crazy is that, you know, then you have all these people who sit around frustrated that they don't really feel like they're being used to their fullest advantage and yet they suffer and don't say anything. Yeah. Just say something, use, use your words, put it out there and, yeah. and hopefully you have the good manager that is going to 
is going to push you a little bit, but ultimately the onus will be on you to say like, I have an interest in this area. So I want to volunteer to be part of this project, or I want to put in the extra effort and extra time to work on this. It's a little bit out of my job scope. Yeah. Those are types of things that can make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. So today you have Mm -hmm. what I think of as somewhat of a portfolio career. Do you, can you describe the different things that you're doing professionally? Sure. And I think portfolio career is a perfect way to put it. And it's how I would describe it myself. So I have, I left my full-time role at Harvard Business School in September, 2020. Mm -hmm. That had been the goal for a while. The timing was a little strange because of COVID. Having kids was a big turning point for me. Mm. And when my kids were born, I was starting to think more about, okay, what do I want my work life to look like? I want and need to be working, but is this commute, does commute still work for me? Uh, Am I using my talents and energies in in the best way in my everyday work? Or is there something different I could be doing? So those questions were really mulling around in my head. And I was starting to think about, I want to have this flexibility and to do the work that I control how much work I'm doing in in coaching versus writing, putting all these different pieces together. My solution to that was starting my own business. And that is exactly what I did. Started my own business, Next Chapter Careers, where I focus on now helping parents find more fulfilling jobs that they love without giving up the flexibility that they really need as part of their lives. So I'm kind of coaching myself five years ago or so. And so that's a big part of my work right now is is doing the career coaching with Next Chapter Careers with my business. I also do some coaching and, and writing with Harvard Business School. So it's kind of hard to pull me out of that. I wanted to stay connected. Uh, I'm also an author, you mentioned previously. So I have a couple children's books that were just these like sparks of imagination and storytelling. And I was like, you know what? Like, who's to say I can't do this? Right. I can write a children's book. I have this idea for it. I'm going to write it. My sister-in-law illustrated them. I have another book that I wrote, When Mommy Grows Up. I think I've put less boundaries around where I could, what could be part of my career and what had to just be something on the side and found different ways to monetize both writing and coaching and these different elements and have a certain amount of flexibility around all of it. I know just on the kids' books, a lot of people have this dream of writing a children's book, right? Uh-huh. Anyone who loves to tell stories and make things up when they're, you know, with kids, you know, at bedtime or whatever. How did it come about for you in terms of, you know, the process and getting it published and all of that? So what I tell people is that if you really want to write a children's book, you can write it and have it out within the next year. Yeah. Full stop. That's it. Because there are so many different ways to publish right now. So when people tell me like, oh, it's this dream of mine, like, all right, well, let's go do it. Mm -hmm. There's literally nothing that's stopping you because you can publish it for free. Right. You can publish it with help. You can publish it with a publisher. And all of those different routes, some will take more time than others. Some do have a little bit of monetary investment, but some are completely free. So for me, I have so I have three books out. One that was traditionally published mm-hmm. through like the pitching to pitching to like editors and agents and publishers. That's my adult book, the nonfiction book. The children's books. My sister-in-law and I, who she illustrated, I wrote them. She and I decided that we wanted to make sure we had full creative control over this book. Mm. And we wanted to self-publish it. That was a decision that we made. Like we didn't want, we had a real clear vision for what we wanted this book to be. So we decided to publish it 
work with a kind of a hybrid publisher that helps you kind of format the book and all of that aspect and the distribution and all of that. Right. But we didn't have to go through a process of pitching the book to anyone. Now our two our now our two children's books are out in the world and people get to enjoy them. They're in libraries, they're on Amazon, all the different places, just as you would a book that you traditionally publish. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. And I'm sure your kids appreciated that you had this story that you probably first told to them that you turned into something that, you know, as you say, is now out in the world. Yeah. And the, the um, my, my son laughs because he, the name for the first character, Belinda Baloney, this was back when he was wanting to name all of his Hot Wheels cars. Every single mm-hmm. car needed to have a name. So I was sitting on the floor with him, like naming these cars. And I was like tapping into those creative juices. And one of them was named Belinda Baloney that I named. And I was like, you know what? That's a really good character name for a book. I should hold on to that. So it was in the back of my mind. And then later that week, the whole idea for the book sprang into my head and I spoke it aloud on my commute into my phone. I wrote the whole book. And then it was done. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I have a book. Yeah. Talked to my sister-in-law and then it went from there. Awesome. So you're also a blogger. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah. I didn't even mention that. (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of people again, have this idea of writing a blog, you've done it, you're successful. Mm-hmm. What do you think it takes to break through the noise in the blogosphere, especially mm-hmm. now as more and more people are making a go of it? Yeah. But some people will have a blog and they will fully, that will be their full-time gig, right? But they will right. write a blog, they'll monetize it. And that will be their full income stream. For me, it's not. And like that, and that actually helps as part of me thinking about my portfolio career and my business is that I think about my blog as content marketing for my business. It is an income stream in some ways, certainly too, through advertising and things like that. But I'm also writing and speaking to the same audience that I would be serving as as a customer for my books, as well as a customer for my my coaching practice. Mm. So when I think about the blog as a piece of my business, I think about it just like that, as a piece of the business, as an additional way for me to build the know, like, and trust factor. With yeah. my ideal client. And because I have a clear sense of who that person is and what are the what are their pain points? What are the things that they are struggling with right now? This is through a lot of conversations that I've had with people. I know what to write about and what to include on that blog is going to be interesting to them that will make them want to say, Yeah, I'm gonna sign up for your email list because you get me. You know what I'm facing with, what I'm facing right now. You know, the problems that I'm up against. So it makes sense for me to continue to engage with you as a blogger, as a coach. And part of that is, again, just like knowing your audience, talking with people, speaking their language in a way that feels authentic, because I only will write things that feel authentic to myself, like my own voice. But then also search engine optimization, too. I'll say that for people who are thinking about their, their businesses or blogs is making sure that you tap into the power of Google and see what people are Googling. So that you can, if you have great content that you're putting out there, make sure it's searchable Mm. by using the same terminology that people are actually searching for. How much do you find that your blog drives business for your coaching practice versus word of mouth? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I definitely get a lot of referrals, but some of those original referrals found me because they found me on social media through my writing or through my blog and joined the email list through that. So if I were to break it down, it's almost hard to break it down specifically because some people fall into some similar categories. Yeah, They may have followed me a lot, like followed my blog or followed Instagram. And then also right. their friend was like, you know what? I worked with Becca too. I'm like, oh, well, I've actually been following her. So maybe I'll reach out. 
for coaching as well. So there's a big mix. What I will say is that I know I won't, I will certainly not drop any of the writing that I do because it's fun for me. Hmm. I enjoy it very much. I find it as a way to connect with this audience to add value in that way. And I know that it does bring in people because people will say it in there. How they've been referred to me. It's like, I found you through this person I talked to, but also I've been following you on Instagram or following your blog. And you have a very nice writing style. There's a whimsy to it, as we've talked about (laughs) in the past. And, you know, if you tie sort of your coaching practice to you know, the book that you wrote, it's in the background there to what you do in your blog. I mean, there's a very consistent theme, right? Like when people know, you know, to your point about no like, and trust, right. They feel like they have a sense of you and it's very consistent in the things you're doing, you know, Mm -hmm. which is certainly something that people talk about. They talk about personal branding, you know, there's a a very strong sense of personal brand that I've always sensed in our own interactions and, Mm -hmm. you know, what I see you do on social media. So that's, obviously got to be a big advantage for you. Yeah, it's 100% true. And I think when you have a personal brand that is authentic to you, it's so much easier to communicate because I'm not trying hard to communicate my personal brand. It's just, I am a parent, I'm a professional, and I want to help other parents do both. Right. And do it in a way that feels fun and brings joy. Yeah. That's just authentic to me. That's how I want to interact with the world. And if that's and that aligns with everything that I do. I try to bring that sense of fun to coaching. The book is filled with, it's a career development book, but it's filled with funny stories about, yeah. about parenthood. I have children's books that talk about what you want to be when you grow up. So it's all interconnected and it all has this level of relatability, I hope. And yeah. what people have told me is relatability, that they just don't feel like it's this big, scary thing that they have to tackle because they're already tackling a lot of big, scary things with parents. Yeah. This is something that they can tap into in a way that feels a little bit, takes a little bit of the pressure off. Yeah. And I, I loved, you know, you, you were on vacation last week in New York with your kids as you posted on social media. I won't get the quote exactly right, but something like one of your kids saying, mom, this is like so great. Can you quit your job so we can do this yeah. all the time? Uh-huh. And, and, you know, you sort of wrote in your post, no, and mm-hmm. had a very good explanation about, you know, the importance of finding purpose and joy and, you know, yeah. work having its own purpose and providing for a family. And it was yeah. really good. Thank you. Thank you. And my kids are so much of an inspiration for me in so many ways. They've inspired me to want that, yeah. right? If you want that, like the fulfillment and the joy piece of, of work, they inspire me that I know we need to pay for soccer and baseball and piano lessons. And so that's the motivation there around wanting to provide the types of resources for them to go after their dreams. It's all circular showing them that I can go after mine, providing them the resources that they can go after theirs and explain to them that work doesn't have to be something that you're dragged off to. It shouldn't be ideally, right? It's like we have this one trip around the world here to make our impact. So make it be something that you love to do that also is adding value to the world and utilizing your skill set. That's possible. It's very possible. People are doing it every day. So why not you? Exactly. So what's next for Becca Carnahan, Inc.? <laughs> so that's the fun part about entrepreneurship that I found, that I can take the reins of this a bit and explore new things. I think one of the big things I'm thinking about right now is how to um, not actually clone myself, but try uh, yeah. in terms of scaling my my coaching practice and providing other ways in for people. So I have an online coaching program now that I'm really, really proud of. And I love 
um, that provides parents an opportunity to like to watch a coaching video at after they put the kids to bed right. and to go through the coaching exercises and to do a lot of this work, even if I'm not there right with them. Right. I'm there with them on video. So that's a big thing that I'm excited about right now is continuing to roll that out more so in, out into the world and to have, give people those resources to find their own career fulfillment and that flexibility piece of it. Yeah. And I always have a couple books rolling in the back of my mind too. Uh, <laughs> there's a couple, there's a couple children's book drafts that I'll come back to at some point. Writing kids books is just so much fun. So it's fun that it can be a hobby that also ends up bringing in some money. Sure. That's great. If you can do both. Yeah. More members of the baloney family to write about. Oh yeah. There's always more baloney. <laughs> yeah. There is always more baloney. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your coaching work. As we've talked about, you, you spend a lot of time working with parents. You've coached HBS students and uh-huh. HBS alumni. What are the common threads? Like, What topics really come up most when people raise their hand and say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to have a coach help me? The two words that immediately came to mind for me were clarity and confidence. Okay. And starting with clarity, I think that a lot of people will come into a job search thinking, okay, I know that I don't want to do this thing anymore. I'm not mm-hmm. happy, but I'm not really sure why exactly I'm unhappy or I'm not really sure why, what I want to do next. Yeah. So that's where I love to come in as a coach and to help them figure out not just what they're running away from, but what they want to run towards and get that real sense of clarity. And that's the same across alumni, current students, parents that I work with. The more we can get to that place of clarity, the easier the rest of their job search is going to be. The confidence piece of it, a lot of people just get their confidence shaken yeah. along the way. And whether that's an, an HBS student who all of a sudden is kind of a, a smaller fish in a bigger pond, or they've gotten rejected from a job yeah. and they haven't been rejected before, or an alum who has kind of hit a run into a layoff at some point in their career and they haven't experienced that before and their confidence is shaken a parent who's returning to the paid workforce isn't really sure how their skill set is going to be the best fit for that anymore. So there's so many different confidence busters along the way that I like to be able to come in and help to rebuild that that confidence muscle. Yeah. I gosh, in my own life, I've seen so many people who, you know, who have something happen either in the moment or just over a sustained period of time professionally that just completely takes them off their base. And those are really hard situations. And, you know, it often takes, you know, somebody working with you to get you kind of back and recentered and believing in yourself again. Yeah. It's huge. It's the basis of, I think, almost everything uh, is having that level of belief in yourself because you can't sell yourself to a a potential client, to a, to an employer. Yeah. You're not buying it. Yeah. You have to have that level of confidence and there's ways that you can rebuild it by, I always tell people like, make sure you have a brag folder in your email box and that you can go back to and find those compliments people have given you. Ask people for feedback because oftentimes it's going to be really, really positive. Even if you're afraid some of it's going to be negative, honestly, they're probably going to say really wonderful things about you and honing in on what those skills are that you bring to the table and how you add value and how you've solved problems before, going through these types of exercises can help rebuild that confidence. Yeah. We're obviously in the middle of a huge change in the world of work. You know, 
as everybody tries to figure out hybrid and mm-hmm. are talking about the future of work. Do you feel that creeping into your coaching discussions? Is there, you know, are there different things that people are asking about than maybe they were asking about pre-pandemic? Yeah, it's not just creeping, it's charging right into that conversation. And I welcome it with open arms because yeah. back when I was thinking about what flexibility could look like, and I don't always use the term work-life balance because balance seems like it sets you up for failure. It's not really ever perfectly balanced, but being able to do the things that you want to with your work and your life. I thought really the only way to do that was to have my own business. And that worked out well for me and my work style, but it's not for everyone. Being an entrepreneurship is not the right fit for every single person out there. So I think the more that remote work, hybrid work, um, flexible work arrangements are becoming more of the norm. Yeah is huge because it's allowing all these talented people to stay in the workforce, to explore other opportunities, to be their best selves at work and be their best selves at home. Yeah. So when I talk about flexibility with people, it's not just remote work. It's not just hybrid. It's finding what does flexibility actually mean to you? Mm. And then how do you go out and find a company in a position that that matches up? Because those opportunities are much more readily available than they were two years ago, three years ago, five years ago. Yeah. And, you know, the other aspect of flexibility, this, this whole sort of, you know, the free agent nation, if you go back to the book, Daniel Pink wrote, what, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just, it just feels like more and more people are working in a kind of a contract capacity and keeping multiple balls in the air and doing different things at the same time. And that's a movement that just feels like it's even taken further root in the last few years as well. Mm -hmm. Which works really well for some people too. It's it's about knowing your work style. And for the folks who I I work with and some of them are like, you know what, I I crave variety and newness and I get really stagnant if I'm with the same company, but I feel like that makes me a a job hopper. But no, that just means you have really like, high, um, a lot of creativity that yeah. you're trying to bring. And if you thrive in an environment that allows more variety, then having contract positions could work really well for you yeah. because you're bringing your best work to that company. You have to be a bit of a hustler, certainly, because yes. you have to be, to be able to sell yourself and to go find those positions. But some people, again, thrive on that. And yeah. that's when they do their best work is when they actually have to push it a little bit more to go find clients. So knowing yourself really well can help you find figure out what type of flexibility what type of arrangement is going to work best for your work style. Yeah, and you know, even, you know, your point on the hustling, it's still true. But, you know, now you've got these freelance platforms that, mm-hmm. you know, to some extent take some of that burden off the people who don't necessarily like that part of the process, right? And so, you know, it makes it easier for people to find them. It's true. Yeah, definitely easier than it was definitely 10 years ago, but yeah. I'd say even probably more recently. There's so many different platforms out there. It's it's not, I think there's, there's Fiverr, there's Upwork, but there's others too. Right. There's a lot of others that have popped up with these like short-term project-based work. And it's a great way for you to think about getting in full-time to a company or to pursue more of this contract gig-based portfolio of career. Right. When you start with your coaching clients, what advice do you give them on how to get as much out of coaching as possible? For me, every coach is different. I will, I'll preface this by saying that every coach's style is different. The two of the biggest things that I talk with my coaching clients about is being really open because 
if you're just coming to a coaching session and only putting forth like, okay, I need to talk about just the job search strategy, or there's probably other stuff that's kind of holding you back from making this change. So if we, we don't need to go into full therapy mode, certainly, yeah. Yeah. but talking about where are your blockers? Where are you feeling? Where are you feeling stuck? Who else is in the room, the kind of the proverbial room with you when you're making these decisions? Uh, if you can be more open with your coach mm. around those things, you can make more progress together. Yeah. So that's one of them. Um, and this is probably not going to come as a surprise since I am a writer. I, I have a lot of homework that I give people and it's written based homework. It's not just sitting and thinking about it. Right. It's, it's making a list of things. It's writing out sentences around things and the act of writing, it solidifies. And there's science around this too, but actually putting pen to paper yep. Yep. on things um, helps you remember things, helps you process. So I really want them to be open to writing stuff down. Typing it is fine too, so that they can look back on their own notes, reflect on it differently and not just be stuck in their own head. Yeah, I've certainly found that in my own experience writing, you know, especially when you go back and think about things that have happened in the past and try and write about them. It mm-hmm. it does help you synthesize, right? Process them, take away learnings, you know, distance yourself a little bit from whatever happened in that moment to, you know, to put perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sounds like, you know, from everything we've talked about and thinking back to what you're saying, particularly in your days at Harvard when you were soaking up the advice you were getting from the other career guidance people there, you would probably say that you would make a pretty good coaching client, you know, just would have made a pretty good coaching client over the years. I think so. And again, it would probably have depended on the coach, but I was surrounded by coaches yeah. who understood me and understood my, my, my motivators and how I worked. And if I was to be a coaching client for myself right now and how I coach and I think that our styles would align quite well because I, I like the, um, I've always been someone who is pretty uh, goal-driven, someone who likes to be given a mission to go after and then like figure out how to get there. So having that level of, okay, like we're going to, you have this level of accountability, we're working together on this. We have a goal that we're shooting towards. Let's break it down and work towards those steps together. And here's the homework to do it. As a coachy, and I, I have worked with coaches on the other end, even after HBS too. I think they would say probably that I was a pretty solid coaching client. So I'm gonna, I'm ready to listen to dive in. Do you have a coach that you work with now? I do. Yeah. yeah. So I've worked with a, a business coach, actually two different business coaches, and I think yeah. that's a that can be a good thing too. Tackling different things. Mm. Um, one around setting up more the the structure of my the financial structure of my business. Mm-hmm. One helping me think more about scaling of the business through a different program. So I've been really open to asking for help. And that wasn't always the case. Yeah. But I think I've become more and more open to asking for help. And that sets an example for my coaching clients too, to say, yeah, at any stage you're in, having an outside perspective, having a coach can be incredibly helpful for you to take where you are right now. And to up level or to get unstuck, they're having that different perspective and expertise. Yeah. Is, has been hugely valuable in my career. Yeah. Who's inspiring your work today? That's such a good question. And I probably everyone can come at this from different angles. They can look at like at mentors, look at people, businesses that they admire. I'm going to go back to my family. Yeah. And say, like, when I think about why I started this business and why I have the career that I do right now. Yeah. It's so I can get my kids off the bus. 
Yeah. And it's so that I can, but still also be making the income that allows us to go on a trip right? and see family and things like that. So that's always the why for me is like, why am I doing this? I'm doing it because I want to, and I really love this work and I love helping other moms and dads do this for their families. Yep. And I'm doing it for my family too. Any final career advice or other thoughts you want to share before we, we break? Well, this has been so fun to talk about your career journeys. And I think that would be my takeaway or my yeah. last piece of advice, I guess I would give people is, is to go out and ask people questions about their careers because we're sometimes we'll, we'll engage in the small talk and we'll talk about the weather and talk about uh, our sports teams and all that and nothing against sports teams. But when we can get into these deep conversations and ask people about their careers, it sparks things for us. Yeah. It gives us new ideas about how to approach our own career. We can give ourselves permission to do something different by hearing yeah. someone else's story. Yeah. So the more that you can go out and talk with people and ask them questions like this, I think the better off you'll be in tackling your own career challenges. Yeah. I mean, that was really my motivation for, for starting the podcast, to be honest with you, you know, to because I think people learn a lot from other people's stories. And for me, I mean, you and I haven't known each other all that long. Some of the people that I've caught up with, I hadn't talked to in decades. And there are people that I was close to at one point in my life or people who I worked with at one point in my life. And it's just, it's fascinating to go back and kind of hear like, what have, what have you done over the last 20 or 25 years? And, you know, why did you do that? And what did you learn from it? And I take something away from every one of these conversations. So, you know, it's early days. I think this is, you know, maybe episode 14 or so, but it's still early days, but I'm having fun and learning a lot from doing these conversations. So thank you for spending the time as well. Thanks for having me. And yeah, for anyone listening, you you can have a podcast and do this. You can do this without a podcast. You can just pick up the phone and call these yes. other people in your network and have these conversations and have your own your own versions of, of reconnection yeah. and, and learning that can inspire your next steps. So thank yeah. you for having me. This was really fun to reflect back on all of these things and yeah. tie those pieces together. And you even mirrored back some things to me that I hadn't thought about before, you know, probably in terms of that hustle and entrepreneurship that maybe I hadn't put some words to before. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you again, Becca, and have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Jair. Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at Pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.